Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Luke uh, chapter 22, Thank you. Uh, verses 7 through 20. Uh, listen for what God is saying to you. The day of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John with this task. Go and prepare for us to eat the Passover meal. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? Jesus replied, when you go into the city, a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters. Say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will show you a large upstairs room already furnished. Make preparations there. They went and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Let's uh, come together in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to gather on this day to be reminded that you dwell among us and that you are still speaking, that you still are writing a story within us and through us as individuals, but collectively as well, that what you're doing here is speaking to this city, to this world, to your church in new and powerful ways. And so we open our hearts to you. We ask that you would move freely throughout our hearts and minds and that we might leave this place Um, different people than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I recently heard this term, uh, gaslighting. Has anyone ever heard of it? Just a few folks. Um, it It originates from this play called Gaslight, appropriately, where a man tries to convince his wife and everyone around them that she's insane. And so he does this by making all these little changes in their environment. Um, in their home and in, their, in her life. And then he denies it or tells her um, she's remembering incorrectly or delusional when she points them out. At a basic level, gaslighting is about destroying a person's perception of reality. Gaslighting doesn't require deliberate plotting the way that it is in this play, um, just the belief even that it's acceptable to overwrite someone else's reality. Some of the most common people who think that it's acceptable to do this are probably older siblings and parents. (laughs) Like when I was six, we went out to a nice restaurant for dinner, and I was definitely not feeling well, and I told my mom, 
Um, but our uncle was taking us out, so she was trying to, like, you know, let's all just go out together. Um, so, and so she basically said, you're, not, you're fine. You're not sick. And to be fair, I was a little bit of a hypochondriac when I was a kid. But not long after we got there, I threw up all over the main course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gaslighting is not quite the same as manipulation. Manipulation is usually about influencing someone else's behavior. Right? Gaslighting actually has the goal of changing who someone is. They'll both degrade your self-esteem, but gaslighting will actually damage your trust in yourself and make you question your interpretation of reality. Maybe you've experienced this. Here's how one person describes their gaslit relationship. Whenever you bring up a problem, they said, you find yourself apologizing at the end of the conversation. For me, it, these were the worst exchanges. Every gaslighter, gaslighty relationship is different, but for me, there was a very specific pattern. I would say something to him. He would have a strong emotional reaction to it, far above what I would have anticipated. I would backtrack, try to figure out what I had said and how to make it better. He would accuse me of inconsistency when I backtracked. I would try to explain that I was adjusting to try to communicate best with him because clearly I was failing. He would tell me that my inconsistency implied that I was lying. I would say, no, no, I'm not lying. Maybe I, I just can't remember it right. Well, he would say, it seems I can't trust your memory. He, we would never return to the original issue, and I would usually end up crying hysterically. A gaslighter doesn't only need to be right. They also need for you to believe that they are right. And once they've achieved this goal, who you are becomes up for grabs. In our passage for today, it might feel like we've kind of hit the rewind button, right? I mean, we've just celebrated Easter a couple of months ago, and so why are we back at Maundy Thursday? Well, let me explain. Most of you have heard me talk about uh, the Roman Empire from time to time, how messed up it is or was in its violent enforcement of domination. And you may have heard me speak from time to time about the Jewish religious system at that time, how it had been both corrupted from the outside in and had kind of closed in on itself. And so government and religion had completely failed in its purpose of supporting and strengthening its people. But it wasn't just in kind of the basic day-to-day -day stuff. They weren't just failing humanity. They were destroying identity. They were gaslighting society. And here's how. Rome presented a vision. Caesar was conquering the world and creating peace. Fear and violence were the very air that Romans breathed. Rome had been at war for nearly 200 years. That's five generations. That's great, 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 great grandfathers and grandmothers. Peace became less about the absence of war than it was about having beaten others down to the point where they just lost the ability to resist. And this peace was sustained by Roman military police on every corner who would knock you upside your head if you looked at them funny. And after generations of violence, peace was ongoing. It was a low-key war all the time. That was peace. Gaslighting. The Jewish religious leaders weren't all that much better. For the ones who hadn't straight up sold out, the rest were caught up in microscopic points of law and obedience. Does healing count as work on the Sabbath? What about picking fruit from a field when you're hungry? And so the measure of your faith was determined by how low you hung your head and how high you were willing to jump. Gaslighting. And people knew deep down, you say this is peace, but it doesn't feel very peaceful. You say this is faith, 
but it doesn't feel very faithful. Somehow, this is not how it should be. But everyone, everyone, the people I trust, or at least the people I'm supposed to trust, they're all saying that this is it. This is peace. This is faith. Gaslighting. But of course, gaslighting as a social reality is not just a thing of the past, right? It takes place in our personal relationships, like I described earlier. It's the kind of stuff that makes little girls assume that they're just bad at math, right? Or little boys think wearing pink makes them less male. Today, it's still happening. Here are some ways it shows up. It was just a joke. Race is only a social construct. You have organizations, television channels, award ceremonies that are just for you. Isn't that reverse racism? George Zimmerman's great-grandfather was Afro-Peruvian. How could he be racist? Stacey Dash said it was okay, so it must be okay. That was kind of low. The statistics show that there are more of these people in jail, so they just must be criminals. Gaslighting. Stories that distort reality and make you question your sense of what is true and real. Creating a problem where you thought there was no problem, or saying there is no problem when clearly there is. It's deception at its finest. Truth told upside down with just enough truth thrown in to make you wonder if you might not have gotten it wrong in the first place. But Jesus, so he flips the scripts on this kind of thing. He went around countering counterfeit portraits of life and painting the real deal. Peace wasn't just the absence of war. Peace was a line in the sand that didn't just keep the stone throwers at bay. It made them drop their stones and walk away. Faith wasn't your last two coins thrown into an offering plate. Faith was taking a mustard seed and moving a mountain. Gaslighting tries to overwrite your reality, but Jesus keeps it more real than we've ever known. Telling folks, no matter how worthless you have been told you are, you're still worth going after, even if it means leaving 99 behind. But more than keeping it real, Jesus kept it subversive. He took a word and turned it into a triple-letter threat. Joy. Joy and a table. There are so many tables featured in Jesus' ministry. The one about with the son who returned to his family the one shared with the tax collector who climbed up into a tree, the one that was really the ground where he shared fish and bread with 5,000 others. But this table, this table of our passage today, it's the one that we remember the most in our tradition. Because this is the table that told us just how important it is to gather and share and laugh and be reminded that you can do these things even when you will be betrayed by one of your own crew members even when you will be denied by your most passionate follower, even if it's just before everything spirals down to a great, great ugliness. At the table of his final feast, the place where sorrow and love flow began to mingle down, here Jesus and his closest friends laughed and drank and shared wonderings and stories late into the night. Because in a world that tells you that this is impossible, in a world that gaslights you into submission, this is what you do to keep your head up. You let your hair down. But what makes this table so special is that it's the place where three things happen. Remember that triple threat? First, Jesus reminded them of who they were. 
So that table that they were at, they were celebrating Passover, right? Jesus walked them through this familiar story that they told each other every year, an ancient story of their ancestral strength and tenacity, how they made it out of slavery and through 40 years of wilderness, how they made it this far, long enough, strong enough, generations later. And then, like a play within a play, uh, Jesus uh, tells this Passover story, and then in the same way, he's kind of enacting that story in a new way, right? Liberation from big powers that overwhelm and overcome our sense of self, not by fighting it or by going with it, no, by laughing at it. Isn't that cute? Caesar thinks he's God. Isn't that funny? Pharisees think they own the rules. Laughing laughing and reminding everyone that that same tenacity, that ancient strength is at work today at this table as he was among his friends laughing with them and reminding them that everything belongs to God no matter whose face is printed on the coin. And the final thing he does at this table, the third of the triple threat, he shows us what to do today. Here we have a model for telling and retelling, for living and reliving God's story, our story our story of strength in perseverance, of power in community, of black girl magic and not your Asian sidekick and all the uplifting messages that turn down the gas, overriding our truths, trying to bend our minds. I've been listening a lot to, uh, to a lot of uh, Chance the Rapper's new album, Coloring Book. It's so good, I think. And I've listened to it enough where I've kind of like, okay, I love the music. Okay, I'm going to like think a little bit more about these lyrics, right? Like, what does that really mean, right? Because I'm not cool enough to know all the little phrases and such. And so there's this one line that I thought was really interesting. Um, in the song, No Problem, he says, ooh, watch me come and put the hinges in their hands. And I was like, huh, what's that about? So I asked my friend Google, and they told me, <laughs> It's about, uh, it's about how you're not only going to knock down the doors that are in your way, right? But you're going to take what's holding those doors up, the hinges, and put them in the hands of the ones who are trying to hold you back. Every time Jesus was at the table with his friends, and especially this last time in our passage today, every time we come to this table, the hinges come off. The hinges come off the door. Every time we eat the bread, we're putting hinges in the hands of the machine messages that are gaslighting us up and pressing us down. Every time we drink from the cup, we are putting hinges in the hands of those who would like us to believe it doesn't represent a promise that life is for us too. Every time we hear the story of God's love for us at this table, we're taking those hinges off the doors that shut us out and put them in the hands of the folks who are trying to shut us down. I heard this poem at a conference I attended this past week. It was written by a young adult who was moved. Everyone was sharing testimony. He wrote uh, this poem uh, based on uh, the personal truths that folks had shared. Go teammates, go teammates, go. Jesus was effective with the team around him. We are truly effective with the team around us too. Look at your teammates sitting right next to you, leading in a way that wows others and makes them believe. Believe in God. Believe in themselves. United in this moment through the stories of two. Or is it our collective story? 
we are a part of the larger vision, the mission. Noticing God, the growing majesty, the stories reflecting the magnificence of what is, what was, and what will forever be. Something about doing this work moves us to a place of being, being here with each other, loving the move of the spirit, sharing like never before, struck at the core because authenticity oozes from the heart, soul and mind of the storyteller. Faith is supposed to be liberation. I can't separate my education from my healing. Who I am intrinsically sewn into the fabric of my heart, body, mind, and spirit. I will move through these spaces as a confident vessel of the spirit. You can't hold me captive, even if you tried. Broken body, breaking the body, the body broke, to be reconciled and redirected again. Broken body, breaking the body, the body broke, so the heart could mend. Broken body, breaking the body, the body broke, so you don't have to pretend. Who you are is fully accepted. Who you were created to be is wholly protected. Who you will be was already selected. So fly on, storyteller, knowing that you drop educational bombs every time you speak. Continue leading differently. The people of the world need the lessons that you teach. Continue growing and sowing seeds of transformation because if you don't, someone may never know what life more abundantly means. Go teammate, go teammate, go. We come to this table as teammates, a community leaning on one another and finding joy in a world that is just full of pain. Because gathering together and daring to laugh, daring to enjoy one another and what this world has to offer, this is how we get through, right? This is how we keep pressing in a world that presses us. This is how we fill our cups and strengthen our spirits. Go, teammates. Go, teammates, go. Ooh, watch us come. Watch us come and put hinges in their hands. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the screwdrivers that take the hinges off the door. We thank you for the power to knock the doors down. We thank you, above all, for the joy that keeps us going. Help us to remember, God, that when the world is pressing us, when the world is shutting us down, when the world is closing in, that we have a community of people that we can call up and say, come have dinner with me, and be reminded that fellowship is more than just fun. It's necessary to keep going. We pray all of this with joy and hope and joy and gratitude in our team. Amen.